Our Father in heaven, we would not know you if it wasn't for your word. We would know of you, that you exist, but we wouldn't know you as a loving Father. We would attribute the thorns and thistles to you. But instead, um, we see that you desire to give us good things. We thank you for your thoughts to us, and now we ask for your Holy Spirit, that we might be convicted of truth, and that you might give us courage to seek you wherever you lead. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus is so beautiful. So beautiful. When Adam and Eve were put out of the garden, the Bible says that the ground was cursed for their sake. And that Adam was sent to till the ground. And so that was a part of the plan of redemption for him and for us. And in the plan of redemption, he gets beautiful things like pomegranates. I mean, God is so beautiful, isn't he? He could have just made us toil on, like, concrete driveways. We could have paved the whole earth or something until there was no, you know, impurities or something. But he gave us such a beautiful system. Okay, let's go to uh, Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. By the way, my name is Anthony Chaya. Um, this talk, this talk, we're going to explore food. We're just going to follow the food. You know, some people say if you follow the food, you'll find the people. We're just going to follow the food in the Bible and see what the Bible teaches us. Now, some of these things are literal, but that's not really the purpose that I have for this. What I want you to do is have a renewing of our mind. Okay, a renewing of our mind. And again, principles from the previous two sessions, we recognize that when truth is presented to us, we need to be honest and accept it, acknowledge it. The second thing is that as we're honest, we need to have our fence up and recognize that there's enemies that we're keeping out with that fence just long enough so that we can recognize that we have enemies within. It's not really my topic, but since I'm on that topic, I'll just share. Many people put up a nice fence and they stand inside their garden and they point to all the enemies outside the fence. And that becomes their religion. You know what I'm talking about? When we set up a fence, we have to realize there's already enemies on the inside of the fence. And so now we can deal with those. And those are the enemies in the heart and self. Okay? Jesus says, I am the true vine. No, you can do nothing um, unless you're abiding in me. So we're going to go to Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. And we're going to go to chapter 5. I'm going to show you a few more interesting verses, very interesting verses. This is not really continuation, but just foundation. For some of you that weren't here for the first one, we're, we're linking the spiritual. It's like, why is this guy talking so much about nature? Because... We saw in the previous session, it's the key that unlocks the treasures of the Word of God. That's what inspiration tells us. So, let's go to Romans. This is not just in the spirit of prophecy. Some people say you need, you know, we can't reach the heathen with the spirit of prophecy. We need to be able to show them in the Bible, because that's what they might recognize as uh, the rule of life. We, we pray and hope they will. But there's beautiful treasures here. 
So let's go to um, Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12. And I want you to be honest with me. I'm talking to myself, but I'm guessing if you're like me that you can uh, relate with this too. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 12, it says, For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again. Okay? Now when are we supposed to be teachers, the Seventh-day Adventist movement? After you get baptized, some people say, yeah, when? Because it's saying, for when, for the time. So this is specific to a time. When the time that you are supposed to be a teacher, we actually have a need, a need that one teach us again. Okay, the Adventist church is ordained to deliver the third angel's message, but the first, second, and third combined. Okay, we're supposed to teach the world of these wonderful truths. And yet at that time, which is represented in Revelation as the Laodicean church, at the time when we're supposed to be teachers, the Bible prophesies that we actually have to learn again. So are you ready to relearn? Okay. Ellen White says in the spirit of prophecy, we have a lot to unlearn, okay, in order to relearn. Okay, so if we're honest with ourselves that at a time when we ought to be teachers, we actually have a need that one teach us again. And teach us what? Teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. The first principles. And if you keep going, it says, and are become such as have need of milk and not strong meat. Okay, we need the word in very simple terms. Simple. First principles. So we're going to go look at what the Bible calls those first principles. But let's go on just down to chapter 6. We're going to skip just a couple verses. But look at what Paul says here. He says, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. Now, we're not leaving it as in as leaving it behind, what we're doing is building up from it, okay? And it's the foundation, it's the cornerstone, it's laid. We know the doctrines of Christ. But now when we're supposed to be teachers, we need to go get relearned. Do you understand? Okay. Do you understand that? Okay. So leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, if we just go repeating and repeating and repeating the same thing, and it's just not winning souls to the kingdom, not winning souls to the kingdom, and yet this tells us we have a need to be taught. But we're actually Laodicea, right? Because that's the time it's talking about. So what's one of the characteristics of Laodicea? They say, we have need nothing. what are you talking about? I don't need anything. I don't need any reteaching. I'm, I'm rich. I'm rich and increased with goods. Okay? We actually do, if we're honest with ourselves, need to be retaught. Okay, so then it says, it lists those doctrines that we need to kind of um, leave or build up on top of and relearn. And then look what it says in verse 7. It says this in verse 7. And when I first found this, right in the center of the book of Hebrews, it kind of surprised me. And I had to think, why is Paul putting this right in the center of the book of Hebrews? It says, For the earth which drinketh in the rain that come off upon it, 
and bringeth forth herbs, meat for them by whom it is dressed, receiveth blessing from God. Okay, that's a good question. I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you're here. Yes. Okay, so if you did, couldn't hear that, he, he said, okay, now what does that mean? So let's break it down slowly. It says, the earth which drinketh in the rain. Let's stop there. So where I'm from, and, and if you know anything about agriculture, maybe you don't, but I'll just share you my, with, with you my experience. When you till up the ground, what you're really doing is adding air to the soil. Okay, you're breaking it up into small particles so that they sit and leave room for air. Now in the Bible... Air, or the wind, represents the Holy Spirit. Okay, And it's always by God's Spirit that we have victory. So as we're breaking up the fallow ground, we're actually gaining victories over weeds that are growing in our life, but we're actually adding air to the soil. Now what's interesting is we're making space for the Holy Spirit. Then it says, the earth which drinketh in the rain that come off upon it. Now, what does the rain represent in the Bible? The Holy Spirit. Okay, so we've made room for the Holy Spirit, and now the outpouring comes. Now, if you did not break up your ground, and that ground has no pockets for the rain, then when that rain comes, it puddles on top and runs off. Okay? When When God said, I'm glad you're here. When God said, when God said that, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. What that meant is that he sent his Holy Spirit. And he sent his Holy Spirit. And he sent his Holy Spirit. And Pharaoh would do nothing with it. Okay, so if you go to the garden, you till up your ground, and the rain comes on it. Do you know what happens when you fill a cup of water? What's in the cup before you put water in? Air. Air. When you put the water in, what happens to the air? It goes out. It goes out. That's called displacement. Yeah. Right? Same thing happens in the soil. Okay, so you made all the pockets of air. Rain comes on it. The water fills those pockets, displaces the air. And when that water evaporates in the sun, the, the soil actually shrinks together. And those pockets that you once made are much smaller. And so as a farmer, your job, one of the beautiful things, and I don't have time to prove it, but you can go study it. One of the beautiful things about agriculture that we're called into is learning. You can look this up in Christ's Object Lessons. The reason agriculture is such an important uh, lesson book for us is because it teaches us to cooperate with heavenly appointed agencies. Okay? How many ministers do you know that you say, ooh, if he could just cooperate with the Holy Spirit? You know, he's got a good message, but at the wrong time or in the wrong spirit. So it teaches us how to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. So we're waiting for the rain. We've made made a place for the rain. The rain comes, and then it's our duty, as soon as that soil gets to the right moisture content level where we can break it up without compacting it, we break it up again. Okay? Receive conviction, and now we go to work in the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? And then the rain comes again. And we do the same thing. And eventually, your soil gets so soft and beautiful, it's fluffy. And it drinks in the rain. And so no matter what conviction comes from the Holy Spirit, your habit is to receive it and to receive it with gladness. Okay? Now, 
there's a different kind of soil. That's the soil of Pharaoh's heart, where God sent one request. And he's like, who, should, who is God that I should listen to him? Right? So he didn't break up his heart at all. His heart, the soil of his heart, received only a little of that rain. And then God sends another. And then plagues and plagues and plagues. And every time it rained, those were opportunities of conviction that God in heaven was asking him to act. But because he did not break up his heart, he wouldn't soften his heart in between. Each time that happens, if you have a garden where, that, where you've you know, taken out all the plants because the roots sort of keep the, the ground loose and just let the rain go over and over, and then the sun comes out, and you go out there and hit it with a hoe, it'll be almost like concrete. And so God, by sending his spirit, opportunity after opportunity, hardened Pharaoh's heart. Okay? So this says, the earth which drinketh in the rain that come off upon it. That means someone is actually waiting, ready for the Holy Spirit. They've done the breaking up of the heart from a previous rain. And then it says, and bringeth forth herbs. Now that word herbs in the Greek is a generic term that just means food of any kind. Now in some places in the Bible, the word herbs, especially in the Hebrew, is talking about a specific kind of plant. But this word herbs just means food. Okay, so it's saying that ground which drinks in the rain that comes off upon it over and over. Off means often, right? So that's one that's being worked in between the rains, basically responding to the Holy Spirit. That ground that also then is used to bring forth food for them by whom it is dressed. What does that mean? That means for the gardener. Okay, for the gardener. It receiveth blessing from God. That's right in the book of Hebrews. And then it says, But that which bringeth forth thorns and briars is rejected and is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. Now, the, the one that brings forth thorns and thistles is not just the bad soil. It's any soil left to itself. Did you know that? Even good, high-quality, mineral-rich, earthwormy soil left to itself will bring forth weeds. Some people say no. Some people say no. But I've never seen it. And the spirit of prophecy says every soil will bring forth briars if left alone. You know, you'd have to really show me another quote or something because that one's as clear as day. So right here in the book of Hebrews, it's saying at a time when we should be teachers... We need to be taught, again, the first principles. Now, according to the spirit of prophecy, what is the first principles of education? You might recognize it by saying the A, Bs, and Cs of education is agriculture. Agriculture, okay? So we actually need, at the time when we're supposed to be teachers, to be taught the first principles. Again, isn't that interesting that it says that right in the book of Hebrews? Now, so let's go back then to look at how God taught the churches. Now, the churches in Revelation, right? He has messages to the churches. Let's go look at those. And let's start with the first. Now, we know that we're the Laodicean church. We're that last church. We're the church that's going to be triumphant. Um, Not yet. 
<laughs> but we will be, by God's grace. And, and by the way, you know, just so that we understand what grace is. And the reason I want to go into that is because I've had students who have gone to very top-notch religious schools for years come to me after that training and say, can you tell me what grace is? Just what, what's grace? And you know, it's a, it's a valid question. What is grace? I mean, really. I'll give you just a very interesting. Jesus delivered the words of life. Do you know how many times Jesus said the word grace? Zero. Do you know why? Because he was grace. And he came not to, to talk of himself, but to speak of the Father who sent him. Okay? And now what's the function of grace? To save, right? Of course. But how? Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. That's Jesus and his truth and his light that spread through the whole world. Teaching us. So what does grace do? Teach us. Okay, so this says we need to be taught the first principles again. So even agriculture is a form of grace. And a definition of grace in the spirit of prophecy, Ellen White says, grace is an attribute of God exercised toward man. Okay? So the sunshine today is grace. Did you know that? Because that's an attribute of God's care toward us. The food you ate for lunch, that's grace. The clothes you're wearing, that's grace. The patience and mercy God has for your sins, that's grace. Jesus Christ hanging on the cross. Hanging on the cross, that's grace. His blood spilled, that's grace. The birds singing when you're discouraged, that's grace. Those are attributes of God exercised toward you. And all of them combined are for your redemption. So we're going to actually trace one of those today. We're going to trace food, which is a great grace. In fact, Mm -hmm. if you study the Father, remember the Father? Um, The Father, remember Jesus was talking about a Father. He's like, which of you fathers, being evil, would give your child a rock when he asked for bread or a serpent when he asked for fish? So Jesus teaches us that a Father is one that gives food. Okay, a father is where you go to with food. Last night in uh, Brother Andre's thing, he, he pointed out that Samson never came to God until the very end when he prayed to have his strength back. Except for one time. Do you remember when? He was thirsty. Because we go to God for water and for food. So one of the greatest attributes of a father is that he feeds his children. He feeds his children. So we're going to trace food today. But let's go to Revelation chapter 3. And I'm going to show you one of the first principles. So we're Laodicea. We don't think we have need of anything. We're increased with goods. We're rich. Oh, we don't need retraining. We don't need agriculture. We can just go to Walmart. <laughs> right? It's easier. It is way easier. Oh, you don't even need a fence to go to Walmart. <laughs> I mean, it is easy. Okay. It's true. I mean, we have to acknowledge truth, right? I like Target better. Oh, you like Target? Yeah. My girls call that Target. <laughs> Trying to make it better than it really is. Okay. Okay, so let's go to the first church. The first church. 
Chapter 2, I said chapter 3 earlier, sorry. Chapter 2, and we're going to look at Ephesus, the very first one. Christ's messages to the churches. We need to lay the first principles again, just the first one. So we need to go back to the beginning. Even though this shows a sequence of time, it also has messages. Each one has messages for us, each church message. So let's go back to the first. It says, Under the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience. And by the way, that patience is like perseverance. And how thou canst not bear them which are evil. So we've fenced out the evil ones, right? That's what we did. We can't bear them. I hate when the deer eat my garden, okay? So if you start gardening, you're going to have that same good attribute. That's a good attribute. You're going to start to hate thorns. You're going to have a distaste for evil, which is really good. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne and hast patience and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. And then it says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast lost thy first love. Thy first love. So then the, the correction. Look at this. This is powerful. You've heard that, right? That you've lost your first love. You need to return to your first love. Have you ever read what the Bible says to do when you lost your first love? Yeah, let's look. In verse 5, it says, Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. Where did we fall from? Do we remember? We fell from the Garden of Eden. Uh -huh. We need to go back to the paradise of God. And I'll show you this. You might think, oh, you know, he's just like, just agriculture, agriculture, agriculture. <laughs> Now, remember, I wasn't raised a farmer. Oh. I was raised a, in business. I had an office job for 19 years. I lived on the 22nd floor of a sky rise. Oh. Okay? I used to coach high school basketball. You know? I used to, you know, I, I did a lot of things I don't even want to talk about. But I'm sharing this because it's actually changed my heart. Things that I didn't learn as a child, I'm learning now mm. through these labors. Things that I wish I would have learned, like habits and, and characteristics. And I'm going to show you a great promise. And then we're going to go trace the food. But look at this. It says, remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works. So what was the first works of Adam and Eve in the garden? Yeah, dressing and keeping the garden. Okay? Well, you might say, well, still, you're just telling me it's agriculture. Show me in the Bible. Okay, well, let's keep going then. Let's go to verse 7, because this is those who actually take this advice. Okay? This is the promise to those who take this advice and correct that deficiency. In verse 7, it says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh, I will give to eat of the tree of life, which is where? Which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So where was God trying to lead our minds when he said, go back to where you've fallen and do your first works? Mm. To the paradise of God, where the tree of life was. Okay, okay. You see that? Okay. Now, we've been talking about bringing forth fruit, right? Bringing forth fruit. 
Now, the Bible calls that fruits of righteousness. This is my last text, and then we'll get straight to, we'll start following the breadcrumbs, I call it. Okay, last text. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 10. So this is the solution, you know. The, the theme is abiding in Christ. The thing is, how, how, how can we produce fruit? Yes, we need Jesus, but unless we know what it really is to be connected to Jesus, and it says, he that keepeth my words. So it's not this vague idea of Jesus where we just use his name and get charged up. It's like looking at what he's telling us. You understand? So what does he tell us about how to produce the fruits of righteousness? Let's go to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And verse, sorry, I'm in 1 Corinthians, so I have to turn over. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 10. And here's what it says. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower. Okay, first, I'm going to help you understand that. Mm-hmm. Who ministers seed to the sower? Who, who gives seed to this person? Who yeah, ministereth means just serve up or give. Uh, I guess the farmer? No, because it's giving to the sower, giving to the gardener. So who gives us seed? God. Okay, so this is talking about God. So okay. we could just read that God, okay? But we're going to read as it says. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food mm-hmm. and multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Okay? Did you know that was right there in the Bible? (laughs) Okay, that's a system. God is saying, I'm giving you seed, and if you will sow it, okay, that seed is a grain, and you're going to have bread, but it's going to multiply, and you're going to have more seed to sow. But in that whole process, it will increase your fruits of righteousness, which is what we're after in the abiding in the vine, is it not? We're after fruit. And this is telling us partially how. Okay? To enter into a system of learning that God instituted from the beginning. But look what it says. It actually gets stronger. Okay? Because then it says, um, it says in verse 11, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. By the way, how thankful to God are you when you go to um, Walmart? And there's a ripe banana. They take away all the bad bananas. They take away all the bad bananas. I mean, I'm not saying that we're not thankful, but if you try to grow them and you wait on them and you keep out the weeds and maybe you've had some losses because of pests and you get a ripe banana from your tree, it's different than walking into Walmart and just putting it in the... Do you realize how much work goes into the fruit that we just pick off the shelf? Maybe some of us don't because we haven't ever tried. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. It actually brings forth thanksgiving to God. Thanksgiving to God. And that's powerful, brothers and sisters, because thanksgiving to God will overdo many sins and many temptations. Brothers and sisters, if you study inordinate affections inordinate affections 
you'll see that one of the root causes of those inordinate affections is not being thankful to God. So part of the solution to those inordinate affections is actually built into God's original education system. The further we drift for it, the more and more people you're going to see that are not going to be thankful to God and therefore exhibiting those affections. Okay? Okay, but then it goes on. In verse 12, For the administration of this service not only supplieth the want of the saints... Okay, so the saints have need, or it's going to supply the wants of the saints. Who are the saints? Those who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. So leading into the time of the end, this is actually going to supply our need. Okay, are you aware of that? And then it says, um, it not only supplies the one of the needs, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. It, it repeated that twice. It's very, very important. But then verse 13 says, Whiles by the experiment, that means like the experience, of this ministration, they glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ. So other people will actually glorify God, which is the first angel's message. Fear God and give him glory. <laughs> and worship him who created, who's giving out seeds. Okay? Part of being a part of the three angels is to glorify God as creator, bringing forth thanksgiving and worshiping him who created. And it's to not receive the mark of the beast, okay? Which is going to be pressed home on us, how? Not being by ourselves. Not being able to buy ourselves. So then Walmart's not even going to be good anymore. But this will supply the want of the saints, Okay. So it's, it's some very interesting things. Okay, now let's trace. Let's trace food. Nutrition before sin. This is going to be a little bit health-related. It might change your, maybe even your motive for, for health. But first, I want to awaken you to a different idea. Just like our education system has taught us to learn and not do. Do you know that? Some of you that weren't here in the last session. Our education system taught us to learn and just tell you what we stored up here, but do nothing to it because I haven't graduated yet. I don't have my degree. Oh, I need another certificate before I can actually do anything with it. So we've actually developed a habit of not doing what we've learned. But God says, he that builds his house upon the rock is he that heareth my word and doeth it. So that's something we need to overcome. Now, another thing that we have learned through our educational system is an idea of remedy. That if we have a symptom... We just need a remedy. I have a headache. I need something that gets rid of the headache. I have sin. I need something that just gets rid of the consequences of sin. But, look, but brothers and sisters, we need to go back to, and remember where we've fallen from. Because okay? the idea of redemption is not just band-aiding a wound. Redemption, if you study redemption in the Bible, redemption means that you had something You lost it, and you're giving it back. Okay, that's what redemption means. You had something, you lost it, and you're going to get it back. Just go look at the story of Naomi and Ruth, okay, in the book of Ruth. That is a story of redemption. Naomi had land. There was a famine. She had to leave. She comes back. They need a redeemer. And Boaz was that redeemer, okay? He redeems them. He gives them back that land and more. 
Okay, so we're going to be redeemed here. So when we look back to where we've fallen, we have to see something, and that's God's plan for us. And we're going to be given it back. Because he that overcometh will be given the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Yeah, so we're going to get that back. So let's go look at what we had, and then we'll see what we lost and see how we can get it back. Okay? So let's go to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. God creates. God creates here. Provision for man, the want of the saints. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. And I'm going to go pretty quickly because I think you'll get this pretty fast. And God said, let the earth bring forth grass. Okay, see my finger? God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. How many kinds of plants did God create? Three. Three. Okay, grass, the herb bearing seed, and the fruit tree. And we can see that again because in verse 12 it repeats, And the earth brought forth grass, and the herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit, whose seed was in itself after his kind, and God saw that it was good. By the way, that word good, actually in the Hebrew it means functional. It functions. It works. It's great. Okay? It's a system. It's a system. It supplies the needs. It's not just good, like, oh, I like that. It works. It supplies what is needed. Okay, so those are the three things. Now let's go to chapter 129. Chapter 129, we're going to go kind of fast. Now that you know the principle, how many kinds of plants did God create? Three. Three. Okay, good. And God said, Behold, I have given you, that's people, every herb-bearing seed, which is upon the face of the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of the tree, yielding seed. To you it shall be for me. So of the three kinds of plants, how many did God give to humans? Two. Two, good. So that's what we have here. You see, God created humans on the screen here. God created humans. And above that are the herb-bearing seed, or what we call grain. Okay? We call that grain. Okay. It's a plant that bears a seed. And then... He also gave them the fruit of the tree, which includes nuts, okay? Chestnuts, hazelnuts, walnuts, almonds, all those things. What happened to that third, the third plant? In the, in the very next text. And to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. So here, that's actually the grass. The Bible actually goes back and forth saying green herb and grass. Okay, those two things are very, very similar. The one that's designated as being the grain is the one that's bearing seed. Okay? So the third kind, which we actually eat today, and we'll find out how that happened, was for animals. So God created animals, and he gave them that third kind. Now, not just Lions and lambs, but birds and everything that crawled. Dogs, lions, you know, all of them. Wolves, as it says. All of them ate the green herb. Okay? 
Three foods, two to humans, one to animals. Now, the beauty of this system, uh-huh. the beauty of this system is in the paradise of God, there was no sin, no coveting, no contention, no contention for food, <laughs> no need for offense. Okay. Do you understand? Because the, ah, the oh, animal, it it's in perfect harmony. <laughs> the animals have their food. The people have theirs. It's separate. There's no contention. You know, that pomegranate's not coming ripe and the, you know, the antelope's faster than humans getting to it. For, no, they have their food and humans have their food. And remember, it says that we will hate evil. Remember that first church, Ephesus? You have this, that you can't bear them that are evil. I despise those ants that eat my, you know, that eat my figs before they're ripe. I need to feed my children. Or I need to give this to my neighbor who's never had a tasty health food before. You know, whatever it is. There's contention now. So I actually have a line here that shows the perfect harmony. Animals and their food, people and their food, okay? Now let's go to chapter 2 and verse 5. It says, And every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew, for the Lord had not caused it to rain, upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground. So, you know, that's kind of in the middle of a thought, but God here is observing, he's kind of retelling, Moses is retelling the the creation of the earth here, and he's saying that he's looking at the earth before any of these things grew. And then it says, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth. Okay? And there was not a man to till the ground, okay? Two problems, no water for the plants and no gardener for the plants. So God solves both of those. In verse six, he says, but there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the earth. Problem one solved. God had an irrigation system. Problem number two, no man to till the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. Okay, now I want you to see in verse 8. Now God plants a very, very special garden, even different from the rest of the world, elevated. And let's look at what God chose to plant in his garden. It says here in verse 8, And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed, and out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So God here actually plants this one in his garden. This is elevated. It's superfood. Okay, have you heard that term? Yeah, the real superfood is fruit from trees, okay? Some of you might be into medical missionary work and other things, and you might have gone through great lengths to learn water treatments and massages and things. There's a quote somewhere where Ellen White says, if we would put as much money into the growing of fresh fruit, more good could be done than all the water treatments that could be given. And she speaks highly of water treatments. She says we should learn water treatments. But fruit, fresh from the tree, she says has a special value that all should be acquainted with. Okay, special value. Now, here's the problem with the fruit from Walmart. It's picked way early. It was never ripe. Oh, it's not have, straight. They have to transport it. Yeah, they have to yeah. transport it. They're growing varieties that maybe never get ripe. It just can sit there and look ripe. Um, 
And she says, when we take fruit straight from the tree or for the, from the vine or from the bush, we should consider it that we're taking it straight from the hand of God. It's that good of a gift. It's that good of a gift. I'm telling you, when people say, where are our sanitariums? I say, where are our orchards that our sanitariums are going to be built in? Okay? Does that make sense? We have to get back to the first principles. Someone needs to start planting some trees. Okay, just like God did. That's what God did. Okay, so now let's go on. Nutrition after sin. After being removed from the garden, before and during the flood. Genesis chapter 3, 17 and 19. And I'm going to speak fast. So I'll try to speak clearly as I speak fast. 17 through 19. Chapter 3, 17 and 19. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree, which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, Cursed is the ground for thy sake. Okay, again, that's a part of the plan of redemption. For thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. This is important. I only have a little bit of time, but I want you to know that our natural self thinks about agriculture, and the first thing we think of is, ah, that's sorrowful. It's okay. God said it's sorrow. And Jesus Christ was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Did you know that the beast in Revelation, you know, she's decked with ornaments and she says, I am a queen and I will not have sorrow. And the Bible speaks of a godly sorrow, uh-huh. one that works repentance. Okay? This is part of the plan of redemption, brothers and sisters. Just look up in Spirit of Prophecy and say, labor, part of plan of redemption. And it'll come up. I mean, you'll see. Okay, Genesis 13. So in sorrow you shall eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. Okay, evil starts to spring up in the heart of men and in the soil. Because remember, the soil was a lesson book. And so curriculum had to change because we had new lessons now. Man now knew good and evil, so their lesson book had to show good and evil. Okay, do you understand? So... Satan and his kingdom is represented by thorns and thistles. And it got so bad that when Jesus was going to the cross, they placed a crown of thorns on his head to say the thorns and thistles have won. (laughs) The authority has been established. Satan and his kingdom. But what he didn't know is that when a seed goes into the ground, see, Satan must have ignored agriculture. (laughs) When the seed goes into the ground, it springs up and brings forth much fruit. So when our seed, Jesus Christ, even though a crown of thorns pressed on his head, went to the ground, it brought more fruit to his kingdom. Okay, now then God has to send him out of the garden, right, which is away from all this good food that he actually wants you to eat. So there's none out there. Remember, the Garden of Eden was only a very specific place. He sends them out. In verse 18, it says, uh, It shall bring forth thorns and thistles, and thou shalt eat of the herb of the field. So God added this. He sent him away from the garden. Now, we have to understand, it is not God's ideal. Remember Brother Lemon today? There's an ideal that we need to fulfill. This is called a redemption mindset. We want to be redeemed. We want to fulfill God's ideal. So... We had to leave where that was. And so God says, what can I give them to sustain their life long enough 
for them to come back to reflect my image again. In other words, what can I give them to sustain life so that they can be redeemed? So he gives them animal food. So this line has dropped. Boom. There's no division between food. Animal food and people food are now mingled. And guess what there is now? Contention. That's why the ants are eating your figs because of sin, brother. Because of sin. It won't happen in the Garden of Eden or the Paradise of God. But there's contention now. Now, fast forward to the flood. All of you know the flood very well, so we can go quickly. Um, the whole earth is decimated. It's desolate. All the trees, all the green herb, everything gone, except, except the things that were on the boat, on the ark. And if you read, Noah took, I'm going to have to just tell you, and then you can go study. Noah took food of all the food that was eaten onto the ark, not just for him and his family, but also for the animals. So he had a year's supply. They were on there for over a year. He had over a year's supply of food for all those animals. Ellen White says he took seeds on the ark. Okay, so that's how the food perpetuated. And when he left the ark, there was none of this ready to be harvested on the earth. Okay, there was an olive, you know, leaf and a few things, but there wasn't enough to sustain human life. So God says, what can I give them that I have not yet given them? And so what does he do? He says, you can eat the animals. It was not his ideal. He says, you can eat them. Just don't eat their blood because that's the life. I actually don't want you to enjoy this that much because it's not my ideal. It's just a plan of redemption. It's a contingency plan to sustain your life, showing that I won't hold back anything to save you. Okay? I won't hold back anything to save you. So he gives them the animals. And now he does something great, though. He places the fear of man inside the animals. If not, they would still trust man, and we would have eaten all of them. But instead, they run from us. And it's sad, brothers and sisters. I have a donkey that I like, and I feed him, and he trusts me a little bit. But if I move too quickly, he will, he will back up. Okay? I don't like to eat him. I just like him. Yeah. <laughs> okay, do you understand? So you can see where we're going here. We have gotten to a point where there's only one, one or two things left. Okay. The only thing God could give us more than he did to sustain our life on earth was to let people eat people. Yeah. And he did that. He did that. He let people eat people? Yes. <laughs> okay. On the cross, uh-huh. his son who took on humanity was surrounded by dogs okay. looking to devour him. Those dogs were humans uh. trying to consume our Savior, Jesus Christ. He held back nothing, brothers and sisters, nothing. He held back nothing that would sustain our life. Now, here's the amazing thing. When we got to this point, just like Brother Lemon said, Moses striking the rock twice Mm -hmm. was a problem because Jesus was only supposed to die once. We weren't supposed to glory in the situation of killing our Savior. We were not supposed to glory in the situation of killing our beasts. 
We weren't really even supposed to glory in this. We were supposed to get back to that. What did Noah do? By the way, he just got permission to eat meat. Just got permission to eat meat. He has a whole boatload of food because he has every animal in twos and sevens. And he has sevens, right? He has a whole boatload. So he could have said, great, I'm loaded. What he did, he planted a vineyard. He got straight back. He went to God's ideal. Okay, we're going to have to go real, real, real fast. One minute to finish everything. Nutrition in the wilderness. Egyptians are there. You know, they've enslaved Israel. God's people have lost almost all knowledge of God. They're eating Egyptian food, which was the flesh pots of Egypt. God pulls them out of there, and he starts to, almost as quickly as he teaches them the Sabbath, he's teaching them with manna. In fact, he teaches them the Sabbath with manna. So he starts feeding them from heaven again. Okay, the bread that comes down from heaven. That's sort of a grain type of substance. The animals, he says, don't. They beg for it and beg for it, and he gives it to them, and it was still a curse to them. And they were then wishing for what next? Meat. The onions and leeks, actually. You remember that? The onions and leeks, which are this. Now, I'm not saying vegetables are bad. We need them. Do you know why? Because we're not in the paradise of God. We have winters. We have animals who eat our fruit trees. We have disease in our bodies and in the earth. And so God has given us these things. But Ellen White tells us in the spirit of prophecy that he that is trying to make it into the promised land will be making an effort to leave off the flesh meats and get back to the original diet instituted in the garden. And so the question I have, I'm over, the question I have that I'm leaving for you, this is the appeal. See, every day that we take food, it's a practice for where our heart is. Jesus says, if you're friends of the world, you're an enemy of mine. And the Bible says, at a time when you should be teachers, you have need of being retaught of the first principles. Mm -hmm. So go back to where you've fallen, which is Garden of Eden. And if you overcome, I will give you to eat of the tree of life. Okay, so our health message is not just about getting healthy so we can live here. Do you realize Satan is trying to live as long as he can too? <laughs> yeah, I guess. It's about coming back mm. into harmony with God's original plan with you, for you, which will have health, life, soundness of body, soundness of mind, spiritual soundness. You'll be able to discern both good and evil and choose the good. Mm. Study it out. It's there. It's there. Um, so that's what I call the redemption mindset. I wish I could go in. Then when they get to the promised land, God describes the promised land. I'm just going to have to tell you what it says. It says it is a land of barley and wheat, a land of figs and olives and pomegranates. And the only things used to describe the promised land are these two things. Even on earth. Okay, even on earth, the Israelites... Everything God uses in Deuteronomy chapter 8, go read it. It's beautiful. But the only two categories God lists are those. Because he's trying to redeem us. He's trying to bring us back from Egypt. Doesn't he also say milk and honey? Milk and honey. Yeah. Okay, milk and honey are symbols. Okay. Because when they wanted to prove that the land was flowing with milk and honey, what did they carry out? A huge grapevine. They didn't carry out honeycombs or cows. 
or goats. They carried out a huge grapevine. It means that it's fruitful and can multiply. See, he says that he would increase the fruit of the field, the fruit of your cattle, and the fruit of the womb. Okay? That was a promise. If you get back to the promised land, I will increase the fruit of the ground, the fruit of the cattle, and the fruit of your womb. Now, we weren't supposed to eat babies. So just because it's flowing with milk, which is the fruit of the womb and the fruit of cattle, doesn't mean that we should eat it. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. And I'll show you this too. If you want to use this, and again, this is not so much literal. If the best thing, let me say this just to contextualize everything. If the best thing you can eat is this, then eat it. God gave it to you to save your life, to sustain your life. But if it is not, if you have availability to this, and that's the best you can do, eat that. But if you have this, eat that. Do you understand? Now, just to put one last exclamation on this. Right after the flood, right after the flood, and God gives animals to people, there's an interesting story. It talks about Nimrod. And Nimrod is the first person on earth to actually make his occupation hunting instead of gardening or shepherding. Do you know that? Mm. And what did Nimrod set up? Tower of Babel. Babylon. Yeah, wow. Okay, it said the beginning of his kingdom was Babylon. It's because when we glory in God's contingency plans rather than a redemption mindset, getting back to God's actual will for us, that's, that's confusion. The yeah, Reformation wow. didn't complete because the Reformers got satisfied somewhere along the way and didn't continue. If they did, they would have come into the Sabbath truth, the sanctuary. They would all be Adventists. But we have all these Babylonians, Babylonian wow. churches somewhere between Okay? Wow. Even Isaac. Isaac, the Bible accounts, loved his meat. Remember that? He sent out Esau to go get that meat. Go get that meat. Go get that meat. Isaac, loving that meat, was the first long-term care patient in the Bible. He was. Do you remember? Because when Jacob tricked him, he was blind, like laying sick in the bed. Jacob has to flee home. Do you know how long he was away from home? 20 years. He comes back. His dad's still alive, still sick, still laying in bed. 20 years. He was blind, laying in bed, but he wow. loved his meat. First long-term care patient. Okay, those are just some facts. Uh, if you want to be redeemed, not just a remedy, and if you don't, it's okay, because our natural heart does not long for these things. So if you don't, recognize that too. Remember I said when, when truth comes, recognize it. So it's okay to say, Lord, I actually don't like this. But I'm willing, if it's truth, and I'll seek it for myself, I'm willing to, to allow you to give me a new heart and to start to desire these things. So search it for yourself. Don't take my word for it. If you want to be redeemed, the Lord is willing and able to do it for you. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, I thank you so much for your beautiful patience with us, for not holding anything back, that would be good for the sustaining of our life. We know without a doubt that you desire us to live with you forever. And so I pray that as you teach us how to come back into harmony with your original plan and the plan that will be reinstituted in the light, earth made new, I pray that we will learn of you, that we will learn of your sweetness, 
and of the beauty of the lessons that you have in your word. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.